Our scripture reading this morning is from Galatians chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, and you'll find that on page 1170 in your church Bibles. Um, Again, that's page 1170 in our church Bibles. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to the guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of the son, his son, into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Well, Chris is going to come and and preach for us. But let me just pray before that happens. Lord God, we do thank you for the privilege of being your children. Um, We thank you for the privilege of gathering together and hearing your word taught. We pray that as we listen now, you would give us soft hearts and ears to hear. We pray for you, Chris. Thank you for him. We pray that you would guide him as he speaks to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Emily. Well, good morning, everybody. I wasn't sure whether it's that kind of church where we're we're allowed to speak to one another. Uh, It's been a while since I've been here, but it's all right to be interactive. Is that that true? Is that right? Yes, good. Well, excellent. So let, let me tell you the story a little bit of how our family came to become uh, foster parents and adoptive parents. Uh, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about why adoption actually is core to the heart of God, and then I'm going to call you to take some action. Is that okay? Uh, that's where we're going. That's the plan. So you've been kind of warned in advance. Uh, so, um, well, if I start way back a long time ago, um, my mum my, and dad have quite an interesting story. My dad was born in Malaysia, but my dad's dad was born in Sri Lanka. My mum was born in India, but her dad, as you can probably guess, was born in Ireland. So I'm a little bit (laughs) of a mix. All sorts of different nationalities and ethnicities present in my family. So I love Birmingham. Birmingham feels like my happy place because we're a lovely multicultural city. So I feel like I blend in really well. And my wife and I, we got, we got married, and uh, we were cross-cultural missionaries in Albania. Uh, that's how we first met Emily, because you were working in Belgium, and we were working uh, in Albania. And, uh, and then we came home, and God blessed us with three children in three years, and we were under 30. That was not necessarily a plan that we were working towards. Um, if you're not quite sure how these sort of things happen, apparently Neil does an amazing seminar about that. <laughs> With diagrams and everything, it's way out of my pay scale, so over to Neil. So we, have, we had our three children, and then my wife says to me, uh, you know what, I think we've still got capacity to care for some more kids. And I'm going, that is a great idea for other people. Because <laughs> I'd worked it out, all these three children coming into our lives close together meant that there might become a day in the future where they might kind of leave home together 
You know, they might go to work, they might go to university, uh, they might be called to you know, kind of Christian full-time uh, paid ministry. Anything could happen, and then, and then it would just be me and the wife again, me and Miriam. And it'll just be the two of us. We'll go on long romantic walks along the beach. Uh, we live in Oxfordshire, which geographically is as far from a beach as it's possible to get. But we could commute to the beach, we'd be up for that. Uh, we could do those city breaks. Have you heard of couples that do city breaks? I, I don't know if it's ethically allowable anymore, but people used to fly to like Oslo for the weekend and I'm thinking this idea of fostering or adoption is going to take the edge off the long romantic walk along the beach if we're pulling a scooter or if we have to take nappy sacks with us and a baby to Oslo and so I was pretty resistant and I thought this was not a good idea for our family and then three things happened so one was some friends of ours in their 60s became foster parents to teenage children for the first time and uh, he, he was a guy uh, called Nigel, and his wife was called Tricia. And they, he used to be the head of UCCF back in the day. And I thought, whoa, if they could do that in their 60s, maybe our family could consider doing this in our 30s. Second thing that happened, and it's an occupational hazard if you're a Christian, God spoke to me through the Bible. Does that sound familiar to you? Is that an occurrence that's happened in your life? Just bits of the Bible started jumping out at me. And it was almost like, how did I miss this? How did I miss that God is really concerned about vulnerable people? That time and time again, God links our relationship with him to how we relate to vulnerable people. If you want to know more about that, we're going to be talking about that this evening. That that if God cares about the widow, the orphan, and the stranger and I'm claiming to be a follower of God, then I should care about the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. That, that, I don't know why that hadn't happened. I've, I've done a PhD in theology, and that connection hadn't happened. So God spoke to me through the Bible. And then the third thing that happened was, we became aware of the need. That there are more children coming into care in the UK than for a very long time. At the moment, we're at a 10-year high. And less children getting adopted. Lots of children waiting to be adopted. And so those three factors combined together and then we were ready. Ready to step forward. And it wasn't a great experience. I remember, well, see if you know what this is. I gathered the family around and and I did this. Do you know know what this is? Some of you are thinking I'm DJing, aren't you? But back in the ancient times of the last century, that was how you used to have to make a phone call. Because we used to dial, so I dialed social services. And um, I said, hi, it's Mr. Kandaya here. And uh, our family are really excited about coming forward to foster or adopt. We haven't chosen yet, we don't really know the difference. Uh, So here we are. And I thought the local authority would go, yes, you are the call we have been waiting for. And they'd have some little music that they'd press on a tape recorder. I don't know what that is, I know. Tape recorder, it would be a little fanfare. Thank you for making our day. We're so pleased you called. But that wasn't how it went. It was more like, how many rooms in your house? I'm going, whoa, you know, you don't even know me yet. Why are you asking about my rooms in my house? And I said, we've got loads of rooms in our house. We've got a lounge, we've got a bathroom. No, 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 no. How many people live in your house? Well, there's five of us. And how many bedrooms do you have? Well, there's three of them. And then it was like, no, you're no good to us. I'm going, really? That, that's it? Like, it took me a year to get here. God's been speaking to me through the Bible and, and I'm disqualified. So I dialed again doing what you would do. Try to get a different operator to pick up the phone. (laughs) 
And this time I'm going, okay, let's, maybe I'll confuse them by taking fostering or adoption. I, 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 let's just go for adoption. And so, uh, so yeah, hello, it's Mr. Gendai here. We're phoning up because we're really interested in adopting. Uh, we hear you've got loads of children that are waiting for a family. Could we help? And uh, the lady was nice. She said, great. She didn't ask me about the rooms in my house. Excellent. Uh, she said, tell me about your ethnicity. And I'm going, I have got this one, right? <laughs> All right, my mum's from India. Dad, my granddad was from Ireland. And, and you know, my, my great-grandfather was from uh, Sri Lanka. My wife's half English and half Welsh. How many diversity boxes have you got left? <laughs> and she's like, well... Sorry, Mr. Kando, it's lovely that you phoned up, but we will never find an ethnic match for you. <laughs> really? Well, we'll take anybody. Oh, okay, so we didn't get anywhere. So we had to wait a long time, actually. I got a job in Oxford, and uh, the job was teaching theology to Anglicans. It was great fun. Uh, I'm, I'm a Baptist, right? And, and they, they wouldn't release me on the Anglicans to talk about baptism until about three weeks before they were about to be ordained. I figured if they, I think the idea was they were so far into Anglicanism, there was no way I could convert them to baptism at that stage in their journey. Anyway, long story, we all get on great. And uh, this house, sorry, this job in Oxford came with a house, and the house came with a dining room. Now, honestly, like who needs a dining room nowadays? I mean, the dining room's useful if the queen pops round, but most of us, we could eat in the kitchen and we could eat in the lounge, so we didn't really need a dining room. So a dining room becomes a downstairs bedroom, and then we're ready to make the call again, and this time we aced it, and we became, you know, a year later, we became foster parents, and that was 13 years ago, and our first foster placement is still with us because she's our adopted daughter. And uh, it's been an incredible journey. It's been probably the hardest thing our family's done but it's also been the most rewarding. Um, we have six permanent residents uh, in our household and we have a spare place for a baby. And a baby just left us just before Christmas and we're still getting used to that. It's quite a hard transition. Um, but that's our family. Now, why do I tell you that story? I tell you that story because I want you to consider fostering an adoption. I want, I want to tell you that story because Birmingham needs more foster carers. You're one of the largest local authorities in the UK. Um, Sharon just did some digging for me and in the West Midlands alone they're looking for 820 new foster carers right now that's how bad it is maybe you've seen the news stories about teenagers who are being housed on canal boats or on caravan parks and visited by social workers do you know why that is? because there aren't enough foster carers in the system and those teenagers sadly are being exploited and criminalised and their life chances are pretty rubbish All of this on our watch, in our city, in our nation. And there's an opportunity for the church to do something about this that lives out in a very practical way God's heart for vulnerable people. But I want to open a a scripture with you, and it's the one we had really beautifully read. I love American accent, one of my favourite accents. So thank you for reading it so well. Uh, you're going to need a Bible. I think we could stick it on the screen, this passage. Um, actually, there's, there's a quote I want to give you before. Go, um, go, go back to the one about the gospel. Spirit of adoption. Our gospel determines our church's life and practice. The gospel is the seed, the filter, and the gatekeeper of the church's life. I want to show you that this idea of adoption is not just a kind of bolt-on, interesting extra. It's not just a kind of theological, a little oddity. It actually unlocks something really important about what we understand 
uh, the gospel to be. And if you get this, I think it will transform the life uh, of you as an individual and us as a church. Um, I wrote a book, actually, it's available in the, the lobby, called The Greatest Secret. And the idea of adoption is the greatest secret, I think, to unlocking what we're supposed to be doing and living for as Christians today. So there you go, that's my little pitch to you. So Galatians 4, you probably know the book of Galatians very well. It was written by the Apostle Paul. He's trying to encourage a church that's going through quite a difficult time. It's confused about what the gospel is, about how you have a living relationship with God. And um, this is an important question, particularly if you're, you're new to church, you're visiting today. What is it that these Christians believe? What is at the heart of why they want, Christians want to sing and want to tell everybody in the world about who Jesus is? And the confusion was, well, how do you get to be in a right relationship with God? Some people thought that you had to obey all the Old Testament laws, including a really awkward one called circumcision. And circumcision was not a popular idea, and some people were going, hold on, um, if we're Christians, do we have to obey the circumcision law or not? What does it mean to be part of the family of God? Do we have to be Jewish or, or obey the Jewish laws in order to enter the kingdom of heaven? And so Paul was trying to write into that confusion, and he lands here at this important juncture in chapter 4. And he's explaining why being Jewish is brilliant, but not necessary in order to enter the kingdom of God. And he starts to talk about this idea in in chapter 4, verse 1. What I am saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he is no different from a slave although he owns the whole estate. Here I think he's talking about the fact that um, there are loads of promises in the Old Testament towards the Jewish nation. And the Jewish nation, under the law of God, are like an underage child who one day will receive an incredible inheritance. But while they're waiting to come of age, they are no different, says Paul, to a slave because uh, the, the trustees if you like of the the estate are bossing them around and Paul's saying well that's like the law the law's bossing people around because um, you're underage and you haven't quite reached your inheritance the inheritance is going to be amazing but in the meantime you don't feel that much more important than a slave and in verse 2 he says the heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father so he's saying it's great being Jewish, you've got an incredible promise ahead, all the promises of, the, uh, of God will one day come true for you, that's amazing, but in the meantime it's quite tough. And then he says uh, in verse 3, so also when we were underage, I think he's saying, you know what, it's great being Jewish, but even the rest of us, we have a problem. Our problem is uh, that we were also under slavery, under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. This is a parallel, I think, Uh, to the chapter in Ephesians 2 uh, when he talks about we are under the power of the evil one Uh, we're we're not our own we're we're not making decisions uh, that we would like to make we're being influenced by someone else so also when we were underage we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world and then there's a great verse 4 which says but but when the time set had fully come God sent his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. So Paul says, you know what? We were in slavery, whether it was to the law or whether it was to you know, uh, elemental spiritual forces, whether it was to our appetites or whether it's to our habits, we were under slavery. But God sent his son, born at just the right time, to release us from the power of that slavery, to set us 
free. Now the biblical word for that is redemption. We were once in slavery, but God has set us free. Now, I want to pause there for a minute. I'm going to ask you a question that's going to involve talking to your neighbour. If you don't like your neighbour, go forwards or backwards, that's totally fair. If you want to reflect on your own because you're an introvert, that's totally allowable too. But you may want to talk to a neighbour. When people talk about the gospel, what is the essence of the Christian message, we often talk about redemption. I was enslaved and now I've been set free. We often talk about being rescued, that I needed saving, that I needed a saviour to come and release me from whatever I was in and give me a, a way out, salvation, hope. We sometimes talk about uh, the gospel in terms of forgiveness, that I was uh, guilty and now I've been declared righteous, I've been forgiven for my sins. Do those sound familiar things to you? I'm guessing yes. So we often talk about the gospel as, as redemption, being set free, as rescue, as being saved, uh, or as forgiveness. Those are wonderful, wonderful, wonderful things. But it's not a complete picture. Paul says, you know what? We were redeemed in order that we could be adopted. Do you see it? Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. Why? That we might be adopted into God's family. In other words, all of that was preparation for adoption. You see, you follow his logic? You're going, oh, Chris, a bit dodgy. It's just one passage. Well, if you want to cross-reference Ephesians 1, uh, Romans 8, same idea. So here's your question with your neighbour. What is it that being adopted gives you in your relationship with God that you don't get when you only think about rescue, redemption, uh, or forgiveness? What does adoption give you that you don't get thinking in those other ways about the gospel? Now, you probably guessed the answers are in the Bible text. Uh, so have a look at the rest of where it's going. Um, just as a benchmark... Those Anglican ordinands that I was working with, they got at least three answers to this. And so if you can beat them, that would be fantastic. Um, and uh, so just chat to your neighbour. See if you can come up with three things that adoption gives you in your relationship with God that you don't get when you only think about forgiveness, rescue or redemption. Does that make sense? All right, you may talk to your neighbour and we will talk again very quickly. So it's speed. speed is of the essence. Just headlines. When you've got three, stick your hand up. Someone on the front row has three already. Come on, who's next? Who's got who's got three? Someone else. The front row is just acing this. Oh look, look the sound team. There's some sound men of God up there. Can we have a round of applause for for the uh, the tech team, please? Thank you. All right, let's, let's go for it. Are you ready? Uh, oh, I should have set you left against right. I normally do Liverpool versus the rest, but we keep winning stuff, so it's like, it probably won't be any fun for you. It's been a long time. Were you a Man United sport? Okay. <laughs> I was going to enjoy the moment for a minute. Um, okay, someone on this side, give me, give me, put your hand up and I'll, I'll pick you up. Give me the first thing. Quick tip for university students. Uh, when lecturers ask you a question, get in there quick with the obvious answer because then you can be silent for the rest of the lecture and still look like a hero. <laughs> anyway, anyone on here? 
Family. Good, good, good. So when we get adopted into God's family, we get a different relationship to God the Father. In fact, you only get to call God your Father because of adoption. Does that make sense? That's what's here in this text. It's there again in Ephesians 1 and Romans 8. Uh, when you get adopted, you get the right to call God your Father. In fact, the Holy Spirit, that's what his, one of his key jobs is to do, is to assure you and give you confidence that you can call God Father. That is, well, J.I. Packer, who wrote an amazing book called Knowing God, describes adoption as the highest privilege that the gospel affords us. He's a, he's a big fan of justification, but he says justification is just preparation for the right to be able to call God Father. But not only that, you don't just get a father, you get Jesus as your brother and the Holy Spirit as your comforter. And guess what? You get this. This, this church, and not just the people in this room, but the church dispersed around the world, many of them meeting right now across this city and across our nation. Um, but this church is part of what it means to be welcomed into the family of God. When we emphasise forgiveness or redemption or rescue, you often just think it's about you and Jesus. It's just a personal relationship. And it's not unusual for people to think that they can have a relationship with God without having a relationship with the church. But actually, that's not part of the deal. You automatically get included in the family of God because of adoption. That's great. Good, good. Uh, Someone else. um, Give me something else. Yeah. Love. Yes, yes. So think about it this way. Um, Has anyone ever been rescued? Like maybe by a paramedic. Uh, I know we're in the Midlands, so it's unlikely to be in the RNLI, but maybe. Uh, Anyone been rescued by a paramedic? You you have? The RNLI. Really? The RNLI? (laughs) Serious? Not in Birmingham. Birmingham. (laughs) What Was it life-threatening? Would have been. And uh, how long ago was it? Ten years. years. Brilliant. And, um, you know, life-threatening... Uh, the RNLI step in, they rescue you, and are you still in touch with any of the crew? No. No. Do you, no. Do, you, do you know the names of any of the RNLI staff? I mean, it was life and death, right? But you're not in touch. Not even a Christmas card. <laughs> no. Isn't that ridiculous? If you think about it. That isn't untypical for how many people think about God. God is there to rescue me from a really difficult situation, but I actually want what he can give me. I don't want him. See, rescue doesn't automatically lead to relationship, does it? God doesn't just want to rescue you. He wants a relationship. He wants to love you as much, it's ridiculous, as much as he loves Jesus. And he wants to include you in the family and give you the same right of calling God your father as Jesus has to call God his father. I mean, that's, that's ridiculous grace and love, isn't it? You see, you get that through adoption. You get love, you get relationship, you get family. Keep going, what else do you get? Clue is in the text. Inheritance. Look, he's on the front row. Maybe he's got a better eyesight because it's quite a long way from the back to there. You get an inheritance. It's a bizarre inheritance, isn't it? You get to share... Jesus' inheritance. Because actually it's all his, isn't it? He has the right to rule the nations. Everything belongs to Jesus. He's the rightful heir of everything. But Jesus is delighted to share it with you. We heard the story of the prodigal son this morning, didn't we? 
I think one of the reasons the older brother is not delighted to have the younger son home is because the younger son's had all his inheritance. But if the father welcomes him home, ooh, I wonder if the older brother's thinking, my slice of the inheritance is going to get smaller. Jesus is the best older brother you could ever dream of. That he did everything necessary. He died on the cross in order that he could share his inheritance with you. Now look, in my family, when it was just uh, Miriam and I, uh, pizza night was one of my favourite nights of the week. Because we'd buy this massive pizza and we'd stick it in the oven and out it would come all nice steaming hot. And then my wife, for some reason, had this tiny, tiny appetite. And she'd have this acute angle that was her bit of the pizza. And I'd get the obtuse angle of the rest of the pizza. And then we started having kids. And then we started fostering an adoption. And guess what? Our oven isn't any bigger. We've tried everything. Double-decker pizzas, you name it. We still got the same size pizza. But my slice of the pizza is getting smaller and smaller and smaller. And I could be really angry. Couldn't I? Jesus doesn't think like that. He's delighted to share with you access to his father but actually the inheritance is rightfully his isn't that amazing give me one more what else does adoption give you yeah the spirit of god i mean it's interesting if you look at ephesians 1 romans 8 and here in galatians 4 the three members of the trinity are all mentioned adoption and the trinity are intrinsically connected god the father is your adopted dad who's delighted to welcome you home Jesus is the older brother who sacrifices his life in order that you might be welcomed home. He was rejected so that we could be accepted. Beautiful. And the Holy Spirit, he's the one helping us know all of this is real and true. No matter how we feel, no matter what's going on in our lives, he keeps coming back and reminding us, you belong to God. You have the right to call God Abba Father. It's beautiful. All of that is locked up in this idea of adoption. It's absolutely amazing. But how about this? Why do you think God adopted you? Was he bored? Was he lonely? Was there something missing in his life that God adopted you? No. God did not adopt you because he needed it. God adopted you because you needed it. God stepped up and became the heavenly father we needed him to be in order to welcome us into his family. It's incredible grace and love and mercy, and it's beautiful. I just wonder, hold on to that thought for a minute. Right now in the UK, there are 3,000 children that are waiting for an adoptive family. Most of those children are older. You know, older just means over three. They might be in a sibling group, some with a brother or a sister. Um, Many are from uh, quite difficult backgrounds, have experienced neglect or abuse. Many of them uh, have additional needs. And they're waiting, and they're waiting, and they're waiting. And this is despite the fact there's a whole queue of people who are waiting to adopt children. You go, oh, Chris, is that typical kind of government administrative nightmare? No, not really. The problem is, most of the people here that are waiting to adopt children don't want the children that are currently waiting to be adopted. And hear this, I want to be sensitive about this. For 80% of adopters, the reason they've come forward is because of infertility. And we as churches are often not great at walking people through the pain 
of infertility. In fact, many people tell me church is a really hard place to be when you're struggling to have kids. Sometimes well-meaning members of the congregation give people a nudge. When are you going to get started? And they don't know the secret pain of what's going on at home. So we need to be so much better and so much more compassionate at helping people that are wrestling with that. But when infertility is your driver into adoption, guess what you want? You want a perfect, gorgeous little baby with as few strings as possible. And that's not the kinds of children that are currently waiting. And so our job at Home for Good is to say, okay, infertility is your driver, that's brilliant. Could you, could you think about adopting a three-year-old? They're going to love you and need you just as much as a brand new baby. Could you think about a sibling group? Maybe. But actually, adoption and infertility are not necessarily connected. Remember, God did not adopt you because there was something wrong or missing or, or um, happening with him. He adopted you because you needed it. That means a whole bunch of us could think about a kind of modelling God's kind of adoption, couldn't we? That we adopt not because, well, I was always wanting another child or, uh, you know, I wanted a boy and we've only got girls. Or No, that's not the motivation. That's about you. What about if we put the needs of the children first, like God put our needs first? A whole bunch of us could step up. I've met couples who have said, you know what, we're not even going to try to have birth children. I don't think that's a word from the Lord. I think that's up to individuals to decide what they do. All children are a gift from God. I've met couples who said, you know what, we've reached a stage in our lives where we've got um, uh, capacity to care for some more. That was where our family was at. I've met single people who said, you know what, I'd love it if there was another person in my life that I could raise a child with, but I think I could still be a great parent. And with the church's support, I could help raise a child that otherwise wouldn't have a family. All sorts of people come forward. And when that happens, do you know what? Something of the gospel is visibly demonstrated. This isn't the reason, ultimately, why why we do it. But more people ask me about my faith because of my family than anything else. Why do you do this? What's what's motivating you? And I try not to make it too twee, but I say, well, actually, it's my Christian faith. It's my experience. I'm an adopted person. God adopted me into his family. I want to pass that same love on to kids that need physical parents. All sorts of conversations come off the back of that. So, what did I promise you? Tell you a bit of my story, open up the scriptures to you a little bit, and then call you to some action. Birmingham in particular has a massive need right now. And I love that you're called City Church. I think that means you put the needs of the city at the core of what you're here for. Just like the, um, the exiles in Jeremiah were called to bless Babylon, bless the city they were called to, I believe Christians are called to bless wherever we are. Birmingham has a massive need. It, 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 if you know anything about the local authority, it was in special measures, it's, uh, it's come out of that, but there's still a massive need right now. What would it look like if the church stepped up? Now I know you're going, oh man, that's a lot, that's a lot to ask of us, and... I want you to hear this isn't for everybody. Um, This is an individual or family calling. This isn't something the church can put on you. You have to decide for yourself what to do. And just to give you some context, when we started Home for Good, 5,000 children were waiting for adoption, and there was a need of about 9,000 foster families. But the government had no idea where it was going to find those carers from because they hadn't factored in the church. 
of churches like City Church and the churches that you partner with in in Birmingham, there's at least 15,000 in the UK. Anyone done the maths? I don't need every Christian to adopt 10 children. I didn't bring my van. I do have a van with me. And, uh, you know, if you become a regular donor of Home for Good today, you can take a child home at the end of the service. Doesn't work like that. But if I found one new family per church to foster or adopt and the rest of the church to wrap around and become foster or adopted aunties and uncles, we could do it. The church could meet the entire need in the nation right now. Imagine what that would do for the kids that are waiting. Imagine the difference it would make to know they had loving, secure, permanent families. Make a huge impact. Kids that age out of foster care without a loving, permanent family are really likely to end up homeless. In fact, uh, care leavers make up 25% of the homeless population in the UK right now. I listened to Rory Stewart when he was the prisons minister tell me that between 40 and 50% of our prison population are young people who've aged out of care. And even worse, in many parts of the UK, 70% of sex workers are young women that have aged out of care. I think there's a way we could help. We could help them when they were a three-year-old waiting for a family, couldn't we? Give them the love and support. Can't promise you it's all going to work out lovely and there aren't going to be problems. It's going to be problems. It's going to be hard. But surely these kids have a fighting chance of a relatively normal life if there's a Christian family inputting the love and grace that we've received from God onto them. So for some of you, you might feel called to start the process to think about it and there's a seminar later and you can chat to Sharon or me about it. For others of you, you might think, oh my goodness, it's not for us now. You know, I haven't even finished uni, what am I supposed to do? Um, there may be ways that God has a call on your life as a career to contend for vulnerable people. It could be through a, a career in social work. Social work is a really frontline mission field right now. There are not enough Christians within the social work field. Um, there aren't enough anybody's in the social work field. It's a really desperate time. It could be you're called into politics. Imagine you were called to be an MP who isn't all about our relationship with Europe or their own personal agenda, but imagine you were willing to contend for those that God says he's particularly caring for, the widow, the orphan, and the stranger. Or it might be that you as a family think, well, this is something we want to pray for. We want to give ourselves to pray that this, this needle would shift, that the church would step forward, that the narrative would change. That the church wouldn't just be known for what we're against. There's a whole lot, a lot of lists. Even this week it's got worse, hasn't it? What, what people think we're against. Imagine they knew that we were for the vulnerable. And not just in words, but in actions. Wouldn't that change the way that people perceived our Saviour and our Lord? There's plenty of ways you can get involved. I'm, I'm going to invite you to stand. I'm going to say a prayer. And then I'll hand over to Emily for the next step of the service. And as we said, uh, I'm available at the end. Uh, Sharon's on a, a table. We've got a little card that we'll give you as you leave uh, that says, count me in. If you want to pray for us, you want to support us, uh, you want to find out more, we'd love to help you with that. And yes, there's a free book deal on the stand. Come and talk to us about that if you're interested too. But let's take a moment to pray, shall we? Father God, even just saying those words, remind us again that we were once vulnerable children. We were once in slavery. 
But at just the right time, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem us, but also to make us sons and daughters through adoption. But we're so grateful that at the core of the gospel is this wonderful acceptance into your family. Thank you that we get to call you Father. Thank you that we get the Holy Spirit in our lives. Thank you that we have an inheritance and a hope. Lord, all of that by your grace and mercy. And Lord, having received that from you, we ask that we would live lives of grace and compassion. That that the world would see how we treat others, the grace that you've shown us. Lord, each one of us has a different story, a different response this morning. And I ask you that by your spirit, you'd give us the confidence and the courage to take the right next step for us. We pray, Lord, for every one of those children in Birmingham that's currently waiting for a, a loving, permanent family. We pray for those 820 more foster families needed across the West Midlands. Lord, would you call all sorts of people, but would you call your church to step forward to play our part in demonstrating your grace? We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.